Hey, Spencer. Yeah? In your uh, comic book reading, have you come across any stories about diseases specifically for superheroes? Like, they're the ones that catch them? Not precisely just them. Like, they've done plenty of, like, uh, viruses stories. Well, I'm saying ones that only affect superheroes. Hum- no. No, it, was, it, it always focused on them because it'd be, you know, the superpowered, you know, killing right. things. But not if, like it just affected them but didn't affect regular, regular people. At least not that I've seen. Well, I just had an idea literally right now. Okay. For a, sto- a comic story. All right. And I think you'll like this. Yeah. So if you're from Krypton. Okay. And you got a Krypton STD. Yes. It's mildly irritating to if you. you're on Krypton. Yeah. But when you come under oh, the yellow sun. You, you, it's just like super herpes. Super herpes. And not just super herpes. But because you become a Superman, it doesn't really bother you. But when it spreads to humans. Okay. So Superman's dick becomes the pandemic that uh. wipes out humanity. Because he fucked Lois Lane. And she's a sloot. And she goes around. You oh, know. Then, and, and we was about the you know, just not. Just not shame her as well, but I'm sure, he, you know, Superman can get it in if he, you know. He's a tall, handsome guy. He can, he, he probably gets a few ladies yeah. if he wants. So what do you do with that story? Where do you go with Super Herpes? Well, obviously. Well, what's the title of this book first? Well, uh, obviously it has to be some kind of image book where you are like, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, you can't actually use Superman. It's yeah. Superman Jason, like, you know, something that's kind of like Superman, but not really. Yeah. Uh, it's just so you don't get sued. Um, Uber Ombre or yeah, something. Yeah, something like that. Um, I just thought Super AIDS. No, Dude. that's too harsh. Super AIDS. Can't be Super AIDS. It's got to be like... Spectacular uh, AIDS? <laughs> Amazing AIDS? Serpies. No. Sur- no, that's, that's, that's stupid. <laughs> I don't know. But whatever the title is, it's got to be a pun, I feel. Yeah. Or something like that. It's got to do something with herpes. It came from Krypton. <laughs> like one of those old uh, pulpy movies. Like it came from Planet Nine. It came from Krypton. What came from Krypton? Super herpes. Itchy. Itchy. <laughs> we just named the book The Itch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the seven year itch. But it cur- it turns people mad. It starts the zombie apocalypse because they start scratching and it, they scratch raw. Yeah. Scratch their genitals off. And they turn zombies, I guess. Well, once they're done with themselves, then they go after other others and scratch their genitals off, which then ter- <laughs> which then turns them. Yeah. So instead of brains, it's genitals. And then, <laughs> and then with the old timey uh, trope of the virgin is the one who lives, it'll just be a nation of virgins that are fighting off hordes of herpes. Yeah. The herpes zombies. I think that's a million dollar idea. Or at least a five dollar. I mean, I'd pay five dollars to read that book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, if we went to a convention and somebody had that, I would pick it up. Any uh, comic book li- uh, writers out there listening to this, feel free to steal yes. that idea, please. I uh, would love to read that. It would be, it would be amazing. I think. I think that would win the uh, Eisner for sure. Especially if you just got the right artist to 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 caption to that picture. You know. Oh my goodness, the art! I didn't even think of that. Oh. A man can dream. A man can dream. <laughs> Sexy. That's what we were going for. Oh my goodness.
Sorry, folks. You are, if you're in quarantine, you might be, you're listening to the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me, as always, Spencer, the Siberian seat sniffer church. <laughs> that's, a, that's not as raunchy. No. I was trying to think of some un, uh, undergarments that would uh, he could be sniffing, but nothing started with S. So you're a sneet, you're seat sniffer. That's almost a tongue twister. Yeah. Not bad. No. It's still gross, but not like a But it's like, it's almost like, it's almost something you could tell like your grandma, though. Yeah. Like, you know, it's a dirty joke you could tell to your grandma. Yeah. Like, it's, it's obviously implied that when somebody gets up, you're sniffing their seat because yeah. you're a, a yeah. pervert. Yeah. But you're like an old timey pervert. Yeah. Like, nowadays, I imagine they'd be like licking the seat or something. Something. Today, this was Spencer's idea, so if you don't want this, uh, <laughs> blame him. <laughs> We're talking about the. 10 best post-apocalyptic books to read before the world ends. And uh, it, in my defense, I said, would it be in bad taste? And you said, yes, but let's do it anyways. I mean, what else are we going to do? Yeah. Uh, this is brought to you by the folks at Readsy.com. I'll put that in the show notes for you. Uh, uh, everybody, I guess we'll just jump into this list. I'm, I'm low energy. I'm gonna say, I don't think we really need to talk about it. I think people will probably know why yeah. we uh, burst this topic. It's been a rough week. I'm sure a lot of you people out there have uh, experienced some panic and some uh, stress. Lots of stress. Aggravation. Spencer and I work in essential job fields, apparently, so we do not get to stay home with the quarantine folk. But yet, I feel like we don't get paid what essential... I said that, <laughs> I said that at work. And nobody took me seriously. I was like, when do we get our pandemic bonus? Yeah, right? Like, you get hazard pay in some businesses. Like, if we're working through a pandemic and I'm out involved with the public, I feel like I should probably get at least a, a weekly bonus or something. Well, I've been joking around because, like, we just had our, like, I think that this this paycheck that we just had had our newest bonus on it. Right. So, I kept on making the joke, like, man, because, like I said, it's a quarterly bonus. So, I was like, man, if we can survive to the next bonus, it's probably going to be a pretty good bonus. It better be. You know what I mean? For the sales that we've been having? I just, I, I don't know. This busy we've been? Uh, I just, I get to be out and about, though, so I get to experience literally the world as it just crumbles around yeah. us. And it's, uh, it's a unique feeling. It gives me some writing ideas. Now, see, I think I kind of had a writing idea. We'll say what at the end. What Is it mean? better than Herpy Superheroes? No. I mean, no, because that's awesome. That's, you can't have that, you know? We'll talk about this at the end. Yeah. All right, number one on this list, and I'm just assuming this isn't in a best of list as number one's the best. I would imagine they just put these at random. I'm not reading the opening paragraph. <laughs> number one is Earth Abides, written in 1949. The 1940s were an extremely popular time for dystopian and post-apocalyptic books. After World... No, that makes sense. Yeah, after World yeah. War II... Um, after World War II caused people to start thinking about widespread destruction and societal downfall. One of the gems of this doomsday renaissance was George R. Stewart's novel Earth Abides, which begins with a rampant disease killing off most people in America. Okay, no. This is looking like a bad idea. But, to be fair, um, pandemic books are, like, selling out like crazy right now. And the, uh, and same with, like, the movie pandemic and, like, yeah. all those kind of, like, those kind of movies or genre. Which I feel like I would want to be the opposite of that. I wouldn't want to mm. read. Or, like, you know, like, it was saying here, like, uh, with, you know, how this was stuff was, like, after World War Two. it's like, 
I don't know, maybe it's easier for people to process and deal yeah. with it. Like, you know what I mean? Whenever you're dealing with, like, I mean, that's because cause that's one of the great things about fiction is, you know, trying to tackle these kind of subject matter matters and stuff like that. Counterpoint, I read The Road by Cormac McCarthy yeah. just a few weeks ago. And I was kind of shitting my pants like, oh, I don't want this to happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. And now every time I see something in the news, I'm like, oh, it's Just coming. One step closer. Oh, it's coming. Oh, Caleb needs to get a gun. But he can't because I was at the sheriff's office today. And, and I don't think you're allowed to nope, right now. You're not because everybody bought guns recently. So you can't get a gun permit, which seems like, why is everybody buying guns? <laughs> that makes me nervous. I'm glad I don't live in a nice neighborhood because I I feel people will pass this neighborhood up. Oh there. yeah, they're like there's not why yeah. no why bother. You're also in like a not your area is not really a walking area either. So no. I feel like you'd be good like well off too. People just pass us by and go to the, up the road and to what, the what, nice houses. What Oser is nice either about both of our places is they're up a little bit. Yeah, like they're not right on street level. They're up a little Push bit back just enough. Yeah, so if, you know easier to defend a little bit. I have the high ground. Oh, I got the high. I got a gun. Oh, <laughs> Shit. He got a machine gun. All right. Back to Earth Abides. A young grad student, the wonderfully named Isherwood Williams. That's a unique name. I like it. Has managed to survive in the mountains. But after he emerges from his temporary sabbatical, he finds civilization entirely collapsed. That's actually what almost is kind of happening to uh, Jared Leto. He just came back from like, I think it was 12 or 14 days in the... It was like some fucking douchebag retreat, like in the mm. desert. Like, oh, no technology. I'm going to be alone. And then he returned to pandemic. He's <laughs> like, oh, California's locked down. So that'd be something that's actually happening. Also, there's a big brother in, I think, Germany. The show Big Brother. Oh, yeah. And they're not allowed to know anything that's happening in the world. Oh, So wow. they're still on the show just like, la, 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 drinking, really? having fun. Nobody's, like, they're not allowed to tell them. That seems like kind of fucked up. Yes, but at the same time, good for them being in there because they could just party and have fun and not worry about the rules. What if one of them gets sick, though? Well, nobody's allowed in and out of the building. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I don't write the rules. That just seems like kind of... Yeah, you, well, considering how... Well, I mean, I guess it's over there in Germany, but, like, over here, everything, like, all production on on shows right. and movies are shutting down. And that's and still open. Yeah. Don't, I think... I never watched that show, so I don't know, but I think they have cameras in the house. There must not be on-premise... <sighs> Camera you think guys. somebody would be like, oh, shit. We should probably let them know. Hey, your family might be, like, dying. That, yeah. Like, that's what I would hey, think. Like, you have to tell like, their family like, might be. At least knock on the door and be like, hey, you guys might need some toilet paper. <laughs> Ew. All right. After a mostly fruitless cross-country road trip searching for fellow human life, Ish agrees to have children with another survivor, Emma, come on, guy, just let the fucking human race die off, right? Jerk. You just made. You just imagine how terrible it's gonna be for that kid. Imagine fucking giving birth in that world, trying to raise like that was why the road was so heartbreaking because it was just a little kid. So you're just like, oh, like this kid shouldn't even be alive right now. Like he's just living a life of misery. But what, but like what I'm saying is like so. I'm sure, like cross country trip, you only find one other chick. You're probably the only two people left on the country. So you you have a, you have a child. But you, your best case scenario is you have two children that can have interbred gross sex, so they're not alone <laughs> for the rest of their life. Yeah. Or, or the better route is that that kid just lives and dies alone by himself mm. for his for his entire life. Well, as I continue this synopsis, it seems to get a little better. Uh, Emma and Ish form a new society of sorts, but without electricity or other modern advantages. They must revert to a semi-primitive lifestyle, hunting and gathering for food, 
and eschewing literacy in favor of survival skills. So they had to stop reading and stuff. That sucks. As a result, Earth Abides is a frightening yet fascinating glimpse into a world without many resources and a grippingly realistic portrayal of how society would adapt following such a destructive event. That, yeah, I don't... Why are you trying to repopulate? Especially, like, when I said, like, it seems like there's so many. Now, if you found, like, a decent group of people... Oh, that'd be different. Yeah, that's different. You're like, oh, we can maybe try I to do something. I find one person is like, we should probably be Adam and Eve, you know? Yeah. I'm like, mm, but I'm a lesbian. Well, I'm gay, but, you know, we'll figure it out. I don't know. I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. <clears throat> I think this one I read last year. I don't know if I, I don't... I haven't ever had a chance to read, like, the novel. actual novel. But, like... They, they, oh, hold on. Wait, Did you actually wait, want me to go guess, into yeah, it? maybe. <laughs> Number two, I Am Legend, 1954. Though most think of Will Smith's charismatic... Fucking dick. <laughs> Though most think of Will Smith's charismatic... Charisma- I can't say that word right now. Charismatic. Fucking cunt. <laughs> Whoa. Just not in a good mood this week. Though most... <laughs> Though most think of Will Smith's charismatic turn in 2007's blockbuster, the original post-apocalyptic novel was, well, legend for its time. Like Earth Abides, it also begins with a pandemic, but there's a twist. A twist? twist. Twist. The disease doesn't just decimate the population, it also turns them into vampire-like mutants who want to infect all other humans. The only remaining hope for civilization appears to be Robert Neville, a lone man driven to discover the scientific cause of the disease and find a cure, before he himself is infected. His wife and daughter have already perished from the disease. Even the dog he takes in as a last-ditch companion ends up becoming infected. Neville finds hope in the existence of another survivor, Ruth, but she seems to have her own agenda that doesn't necessarily align with his. She's a fucking bitch. (laughs) We don't spoil the ending for it. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I'll spoil the fucking ending for it because it was written in 1954. Ruth is a vampire. Shocker. Yeah, bye, 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 And if you've seen the movie or read yeah. the fucking I Am Legend, it's just like he's the legend because society has just turned to vampires, so now he's the oddball out. But Yeah, I, I did like that. I that was liked, a cool I, concept. The, yeah, because like I said, I um I read Steve Nowell's did a graphic novel adaptation of it. I think I even let you borrow it. Yeah. Um, but I think, um, and I'd have to assume just because how wordy, wordy the thing was, that it had to be a pretty, like, direct, like, adaptation. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. think he was adding things or switching things. Like, you know what I mean? Well, in the novel version, it was more just like a small town. It wasn't yeah. New York City like the movie. Yeah. And, uh. He was really just, like, kicking down doors. Yeah. Pulling, pulling them out into the sunlight and staking them and stuff. Yeah, it wasn't that extreme, but. They do end up capturing him, and it still has the same ending. Is turns out he was killing them, so he's, he's what they fear. Yeah, he's like their boogeyman. Yeah, so that was really cool. That was like one of the classics. And but that one, folks, you can read that, and you're not going to feel bad about society yeah. right now. You're not going to be like ah. And also that because not even like the I Am Legend, but that's had like also other five other like the Omega Men, and I forget there was a whole bunch of other other movies that were based off of, yeah. uh, but just got called like different within you know you know when they were making the movie. Number three, On the Beach, nineteen fifty seven. On the Beach is the first novel on this list that actually deals with nuclear fallout, an all too real concern for many in the wake of World War Two. With the title taken from a T. S. Eliot war poem, The Beach in question lies Melbourne, Australia, one of the last habitable places on Earth. Though even the people there will soon die of radiation poisoning. That's bleak as fuck. You mean? 
This book takes on an unusually wide scope for the genre, as a decent number of people are still alive, but must come to terms with their imminent deaths. Everyone has a different coping mechanism. Some employ denial, others pure ignorance, while others take practical steps to prepare. One of the more chilling details of the novels is that Australian government mercifully provides its citizens with free suicide pills and injections. Ooh, that's a that's a twist right yeah, there. Because like right. then you're thinking, like, would I take it? Would I not take it? If world is that bleak and awful, yeah. It's, yeah, it's difficult. Now, of course, if you're in America and that's going on, if you're rich, it might be a different scenario. You have one of those cool bunkers. Oh, man, my page flipped all the way to the fucking bottom. <laughs> hey, Mindy. Yeah. Would you mind giving me a alcoholic beer? Thank you, ma'am. I'm gonna say I think I didn't. I've never read this, but I I think in one of my English classes in high school we watched it because I watched the movie and like the movie was even like it was like an older yeah. like black and white movie. While many post-apocalyptic books deal in desperate survival, this is certainly not the approach Neville Shute takes with On the Beach. Yet the human question and responses that arise from the other utter inescapability of death are in many ways even more compelling. I like the idea of that too. It's not just the because your typical survival stories do tend to get boring after a while. They're just repetitive. Yeah, I mean, there's only so many ways you can write that. Thank you, madam. Your kindness knows no bounds. And some fried I forgot about those. I would like one fried pickle, please. No, thank you. You don't like them? Oh. He doesn't like foods that are shaped like Willie's. Well, I mean, some foods. Now, number four, you were telling me how much you fucking hate this book, right? Yeah, you said can't it sucks. stand it. I see what you did there. <laughs> number four, The Stand, 1978. Stephen King's novel, The Stand, was an ambitious play by an author who, up until that point, had largely written supernatural horror. The Stand is another post-apocalyptic tale that stems from a deadly virus. Ooh. But King's development of it is singular. He's ter- he terrifyingly describes the initial outbreak of Project Blue and the military's failure to contain it. The deadly sweep of influenza extinguishes 99% of the world's population, population leaving society in tatters. Oh, it's influenza. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. I don't like this fucking influenza shit. Yeah. It's getting a little too real. But this is only the beginning of the stand. Soon the American survivors of the plague start banding together into groups, one of which becomes aware of an evil, and yes, supernatural, leader of another evil group. They end up locked in a conflict for the fate of future society, a fairly common trope in dystopian fiction, but no less powerful here, where it's done so uniquely. The Stand may have been an outlier for King at the time of its publication, but it's not one of his best-known works, and its impact has only increased over time. I did not realize he wrote this in 1978, or published it in 78, rather. Yeah, I think it's like his fifth book. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of the early ones. I could have sworn that was late 80s or early 90s he did that, but... And um, what you need to do is because, like, whenever I got it, because later on they had, like, the stand, and then they had, like, the stand uncut. Yeah, that 50,000 page. Yeah. So, like, that's, that's that's the one that I read. I think you would not, but I've always told you, you know, you should read a Stephen King book for whatever reason, but you were talking about, like, how in the one, your one story of, like, you were trying to work on, like, having different groups of characters. Yeah. And, like, this is, like... Great example of yeah, that. Yeah, just there's so many, and then they come together at different points, like it was saying in the article, I think you could definitely, you know, get some stuff from that. Well, if we get on this lockdown they're talking about, 
Maybe I'll actually get some more reading done. You know what I've been reading? To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Nice uh, refresher of... Uh, not refresher. It's nice to get away from the post-apocalyptic world and just go back to good old racism. Yeah? All right. Easy problems. Yeah. Well, not easy, but... It was a more wholesome time. Like, I read that and Tom Sawyer recently, and I was like, I'm just reading these books set back when life was good and grand, and, like, even though these problems are awful, they're not, like, they're not a fucking worldwide pandemic trying to extinguish human society. So it's like, eh, I don't know. Number five, Swan Song, 1987. Swan Song actually tied with another Stephen King novel for the 87 Bram Stoker Award. But it deserves a MacArthur Genius Grant for complexity alone. Oh, I don't like this word. This labyrinth, labyrinthian, <laughs> labyrinthian, a labyrinth. It's a book. It's like a labyrinth. This really lab- long. This labyrinthian novel begins with another nuclear crisis, though this time it's the result of an all-out conflict between the United States and Russia, which was hot news at the time. Cold War. The nuclear blasts and radiation storms have caused a ripple effect of destruction and chaos reigns supreme. Meanwhile, a young woman nicknamed Swan is discovered to have supernatural gifts, but unlike those of Flag from the stand, hers are decidedly rejuvenative. Swan is able to connect with plants and nature, accelerating growth and even bringing dead things back to life. I swear this was uh, this was done in American Horror Story, the one with the witches. Like the girl could bring things back from the dead and stuff. Maybe I mean, yeah, well. Now herself an anti-apocalyptic. Now herself an anti-apocalyptic weapon. Swan and her comrades fight to restore justice and peace to a land taken over by a violent nationalist group, the Army of Excellence. That's a fucking terrible name, right? <laughs> the Army of Excellence. That's like a Dragon Ball Z name, or like an old oh, school Dragon Ball name. Uh, like a wrestling group. Yeah, that's that's dumb. That that's like that an eighties wrestling. Group. Yeah. They all have one, the one unitard, the one-sleeved unitard. AOE, Army of Excellence. That sounds like something that would have Arn Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> if, it sounds, if it sounds like a clear commentary on the horrors of World War II, it is. But it's also chock I don't know why they had the explanation, explanation <laughs> point there. But it's also chock full of bi- biblical references, mystical elements, and the horrific yet captivating details of a post-apocalyptic society. In other words... Swan Song truly has something for everyone. Get really tired of reading the word apocalyptic. <laughs> well, I mean, it is in the title of the article. Yeah. Number six. You were talking about this one. You didn't know it was a book. No. The Children of Men, 1992. It's got a Prego's lady on the cover. For fans of The Handmaid's Tale, this 92 novel by P.D. James, which stands for Phyllis Dorothy, hashtag girl power, Silent groan inside. (laughs) Is definitely one for your reading list. In Children of Men, which takes place in 2021... Oh, God! (laughs) The population has already suffered through a quarter century of inexplicable mass infertility. Well, at least we didn't have that. That'd probably be a good thing, actually. Yeah. At least a little bit. And while the world hasn't ended quite yet, the ultimate implication is the same. Humanity will soon become extinct. Isn't it always... The English government has been overtaken by a tyrant, but few people are, but few people care as politics are largely irrelevant when your species is dying. That, that's one thing I kind of hope happens soon. <laughs> Only our narrator, Theo, who happens to be cousin to the total, total, total fuckface leader, totalitarian leader. Uh, I'm having trouble reading today. I'm, I, 
Folks, I'm not lying when I say this. I'm weary. I'm, I'm actually weary. Like, <laughs> yeah, my mind, mind is running just like a tad slow. So, like, when I'm reading the words, normally I'm ahead. Like, when I'm reading, I'm always ahead of what my mouth is saying, but I'm actually behind. <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah, the political group called the Five Fishes. Oh, another terrible name. The Five Fishes actually strive to return to a more democratic society. Five Fishes sounds like a 90s indie band. Yeah. Like a fucking alt band, alt rock band. I could see it. Mm. Five Fishes. Freddy got fingered. And then he touched a fishy with his finger and put it in it. One of the more political books on this list, Children of Men will never, nevertheless keep you biting your nails. Willing Theo and the Five Fishes to triumph over their country's corruption. I'm sorry, this one sounds really boring to me. I, I just remember, I, I, th- there was a movie a was couple it years. all uh, super political? I can't remember. I like the idea of the, you know, infertility and yeah. stuff, but I don't want all these political elements. I, I I think that's another thing. Going back to being weary, politics is just... Oh, oh man, yeah. It's really sinking my spirits over the last decade. We, we fucking seem to, like, grown up at an awful time. Like, did the we 90, did. 90s were yeah. great, but that would probably be better if we were, like, in our 20s and the yeah. 90s. That's bad whenever, like, the highlight was the 90s. Like, yeah. that's the highlight of our life. Yeah. Once we hit, like, 10, it was over. Literally, as we were becoming teenagers, we had 9-11, and it went all downhill from there. Number seven. Now, this one's a real upper, so if you folks <laughs> are feeling down about some of the, you know, what's going on, and maybe this list is like, oh, man, these are depressing sounds. This, this is a real pick-me-up. The Road, 2006. The Road by Cormac McCarthy is an interesting one from a premise perspective. Though never find out what happened, we have a front row seat to its immensely damaging after effects. This novel opens on a boy and his father traveling across an ash-covered, lifeless America in desperate hopes of making it south before winter. I kind of got the feeling that this world was like after a volcano. A volcano? Well, it was talking about like everything was like melted or on like was on fire before. Hmm. Everything was like burnt down kind of. I didn't see the movie, so I don't know how they depicted that. But in the book, everything was kind of like ash and sooty and dirty. And that's why the father kept coughing up blood because they like constantly were breathing in just like ash and shit. Yeah, because all the snow was gray mm. or like some of it was darker. Gray snow. Yeah. Food is scarce and many other survivors have resorted to cannibalism. So the pair must remain constantly vigilant, lest they not only be killed, but killed, cooked, and eaten. Yeah, that would suck. It's a sobering tale, epitomized in a scene of the father showing his son how to shoot himself just in case they run into cannibals and his father can't protect him. That was fucking rough. <laughs> I was reading, I was like, oh, God. And the kid was like, he's like, do you know how to do it? And the kid was like, uh, that's horrible. Yes, it may seem like a simple narrative, especially compared to the convoluted nature of other novels on this list. But McCarthy's prose, I found to be tedious and annoying. No, I wouldn't say it was tedious. I just found it fucking stupid. He didn't put apostrophes in words. Like, don't? Why wouldn't you put an apostrophe in don't? I don't understand. D-O-N apostrophe T. Why aren't you putting the apostrophe, guy? What does that add to anything? If anything, I I would just assume that was a typo. No, it was every time. Wow. He never put apostrophes, and he didn't use commas very much either. Almost never. I, I thought that was very... Because that was not like it would change the way you say it. No, not at all, but it's like, I, I don't get it. Because I, I know like how sometimes you, you might write it differently to make it, like, you know, to try to give it, like, a southern drawl yeah. or, like, a, you know, an uppy English no, person. No, it, like, it was the prose itself, just the narrative. It, didn't, it wasn't the people speaking. 
which there was barely any. The speaking, too, was very, very stiff. Like, the father and son talked to each other like they were both robots. Uh, and everything did give it, a like, a bleak feeling. Like, it was, like, it felt like the book you're reading. So, when you're reading the way they talk to each other and everything, all you get is, they just want to be dead. Like, they yeah. just, they, they're alive just because they maybe don't want to kill themselves. Yeah. Or they want to kill themselves, they just don't actually go through the act of having to do it. Anyway, but McCarthy's prose, tense yet full of immediacy, thoroughly invest you in the outcome, even when you think it can't possibly be a good one. I still ended up giving this a good rating because this book was like a page turner. Like, it was really hard to put down because you wanted to see what would happen. Yeah. Like, there was one scene where they fucking find a house and they go in and then they open the basement and there's just people in there, like, alive, but their feet are missing and shit because, you know, somebody's eating them and they locked mm. them. And it's like, oh, God. Um, there's a lot of stuff like that in there. It was a brutal book, and the ending was poop. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how the movie ended, but the book ending was turd. Number eight. Now, I didn't like the movie version of this. I didn't read the book. No, man, the, the movie was... Brad Pitt's bad. hair was stupid. How yeah. do you make Brad Pitt look stupid? Yeah. Like, act not on purpose. Like, he was in that burn after reading, he looked stupid, but that was on purpose. Yeah. This was not... This was deliberately supposed to be cool Brad Pitt, but he had dumb hair. Which they do the same thing in Tom Hanks with the Da Vinci Code. Give him stupid hair, right? Yeah. That was Tom Hanks, wasn't it? Yeah, he had like that long, fl- yeah. like, flowing locks. Like, don't do that. Number eight, World War Z, 2006. What a post-apocalyptic shit coming out in 2006. What was going on in 2006? 2006 was a big year for post-apocalyptic fiction. Around the same time as the release of The Road came Max Brooks's World War Z, both of which were also later made into movies. But this one's a completely different take on the apocalypse, written as a series of interviews. Ooh, I don't think I'd like that. I don't like books that are written in le- like letters or interviews. I mean, I could do it if it's like every other chapter. Yeah, or if like it's a part of a story. Yeah, like, like Stephen King's Carrie was like some parts of it were newspaper yeah. or interviews with people. But it was there was a narrative still. There was mm-hmm. an actual story. But if the whole thing is written in interviews, that might be a little irritating. World War Z begins at the ending. An introduction informs us that the zombie war has been over for 10 years, but only after a lengthy military and humanitarian crisis. Our narrator is an agent from the UN's post-war commission, gathering people's accounts for posterity, as well as to ensure avoidance of another such disaster. His expert reporting guides us from the zombie's plague, Patient Zero, to the international catastrophe that unfolds in the wake. But what's really fascinating about this novel is that it doesn't focus on if humanity will ultimately survive, but rather how. Indeed, Brooks's exploration of geopolitical fallout surrounding an apocalyptic scenario may be the most comprehensive and realistic of all those on this list, zombies notwithstanding. Did the movie start with the ending? No, I think the movie started like... Like a normal story. Yeah, and then like it, 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 it ended with them kind of finding a cure kind of thing or whatever. This sounds kind of like much different than the yeah. movie. I think maybe the interviews could maybe work in a way because it would maybe be like it'd be a faster pace kind of right. like you know what I mean? Yeah, I I would have to read it to see how that goes. This one seems interesting. Number nine, one second after, written in two thousand nine. This novel takes the cake for most original catalyst for the apocalypse, namely a mass electromagnetic pulse (EMP) attack on the United States, which is very likely this could happen. Yeah. 
thanks to fucking Joe Rogan always telling me about it, it makes me nervous. <laughs> he always gives me things like the solar flares, too. <laughs> yeah, like, just out of nowhere, just the sun. <laughs> Everything's done. I'm like, God damn it, Joe Rogan. And the worst thing is, like, it happened billions of years ago. However long it takes. Was it even that long ago? Yeah, however long it takes from that heat yeah. to, to heat, you know, to, to reach Earth. I love when he has a guy on there. It's like, it happens every hundred thousand years. Oh, well, how far, you know, when's the last time it happened? 200,000 years. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> you fuck. No. Yellowstone actually is going to blow up soon. Like, oh, don't tell me that. It's possible within 100 years. You know, there's a comet coming to us, too. That they might, It's possible to wipe us out. It's oh, supposed yeah. to come in April. In April? Yeah. Jesus. What's with, the, what's with 2020? I read a meme, and it made me laugh. Because it was talking about everybody was like, oh, yeah, you know, can't wait for 2020, yeah. jazz and dancing and flappers and shit. And it was like, when 2020 gets here, it was something along the lines of like, <laughs> pandemic. Yeah. Because they had the fucking, you know, 1918, they're recovering from the uh, Spanish flu yeah. that killed millions. Uh, prohibition. And uh, all the fucking, you know, liquor stores are yeah. closed right now and everything. And what was, oh, what was the other one? Oh, going into a Great Depression. I was like, God damn it. Why well, didn't everybody was just jacked because they was like, oh, 2020, it's going to be the year of clarity. Like, you know, we may finally come to our senses. No. Well, maybe the survivors will. This is viral out of control. Um, anyway, just one second after the EMP attack. Anything that depends on electricity is rendered futile. Water systems, internet routers, and all modes of transport that have electronic parts. I like this because this is actually a modern story. Yeah. Because when we read a lot of the ones from the 50s and stuff, it's kind of hard to relate to that. Because, like, oh, I mean, I got a cell phone. Huh? Like, this would wipe all that out. So that makes it extra realistic. As a result, many people are stranded with little food, water, or any viable resources whatsoever. The small southern town of Black Mountain is hit particularly hard. Why? There aren't enough supplies to help everyone, and people begin to starve, sicken, and succumb to various diseases. Meanwhile, college professor and former army colonel John Matherson attempts to maintain order, but ends up leading a battle, the likes of which he never could have anticipated. While it's not quite as drastic as some of his, of its fellow nuclear works, one second after is still a shiver-inducing take on a 21st century apocalypse, uncomfortably drawing attention to our reliance on modern technology and what would happen if it were all taken away. That scenario is extra awful because yeah. the U.S. government is like reliant on old computer technology like we don't even have modern backup so shit gets wiped out it's done oh yeah and then even just think writing wise oh how many things all your work's gone right yep dpw's gone all our work yeah and i wouldn't try to do it better any other like you know what i mean because like even if you back it up on i mean if you backed it up on a hard drive yeah that's fine but what if like no electricity yeah with no electricity you'll never be able to use it again yeah, this actually, I always think, and I never fucking do it, is like going through DPW and just printing out our stories huh? just to have a copy. So I should probably do that. By the way, I had a young feller, um, if you're listening, young feller, I don't know if he actually listens to the podcast or not, from Germany, oh, yeah? asked me today, uh, he sent an email asking if he could translate some of our, since they're in lockdown, his uh, friend wants to read uh some short stories but he can't find any real good german short stories and he's a big fan of the website oh. so he wants to translate some of our work just for her and yeah. like to tell you like not to publish it or anything i said go for it yeah go for it buddy yeah it's cool let's you know tell her you know let us know what you think like. yeah um number 10 station 11 2014 this is the newest one on this list 
Our final entry is another classic pandemic apocalypse, and one that will seem eerily familiar to those who remember the swine flu panic of 20, 2009. Another thing we had to live through. China's going through bird flu again, by the again? way. Again? Yeah, right now. They're not even done with the last one, and they're getting something else? Bird flu, who would have thought? By the way, folks, I think this article, I'm not scanning back to the top, but I think it was written in 2018. So, coronavirus was not a thing yeah. at the moment. That they're worried about. Anyway, Station Eleven revolves around a woman named Kirsten who grew up in the early years of the Georgia flu, a deadly strain of swine that kills most of the population population in just two decades. Kirsten, a former a former child actor, is now part of a traveling theater troupe in a world largely devoid of any art. The That's what it just sounds like now. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> At least they're out here. Yeah. The novel is full of such moving human elements such as Museum of Civilization that exhibits old iPhones and laptops and a fictional graphic novel from which this one takes its name. A good portion of the story also occurs before the epidemic actually starts, detailing the intertwined lives of several characters who impact Kirsten's life in unexpected ways. So while Station Eleven is undoubtedly a post-apocalyptic book, the apocalypse isn't really the point. More than any of the others on this list, it's a book about humanity and how it perseveres and preserves itself, even in the most trying of times. Now, Spencer, I want to cheer the folks up at home. Okay. By going over some jobs that, and just different things that are just going to go out of business here soon. (laughs) Movie industry, movie theaters, we're trying to get a bailout. They're asking for a bailout, and... A lot of the movie companies are doing video on demand. I don't know yeah, if you saw Bloodshot. I did. I actually I saw it on Monday. You watched it? I watched it. Yes, um, because I I was off and I was like I don't know if I, I forgot was. it was out. Was it good? I mean, it's it was better than what I originally oh, thought. Man. But like it, you know, it's is just a dumb super like act action yeah. movie. Tons of violence. You well, know, I'm not gonna rent it because you, you can rent it for twenty bucks. Yeah. But with video on demand now thing, like now they're going to be pushing hard since everybody's trapped at home. Should we even bail out the fucking movie theaters? What's, um... How many people, I mean, I don't even really, like, if I can just rent it on my TV at home. Yeah. And not have to go to the movie theater with all the stinky people and talking through it. I mean, there's some things like, you know, the end of Endgame and stuff where the big crowd would be obviously a moment you would yeah. remember versus if you just watch it at home, but... Because um, there's still going to be theaters. Yeah. If anything, it might actually pop up, uh, prop up more independent theaters. Maybe. But, um, I mean, that might go out of business. Fortunately, I think Barnes & Noble will be okay. Um, comic book shops, that's a tough it's one. It's going to be rough, yeah. Because most of them are just their walk-in clients. Yeah. That's where they get their business. I mean, obviously, restaurants and stuff are going to be hit pretty hard, but at least a lot of them they can still do delivery. But well, a, a lot of small businesses, like just in general, yeah, like a lot of mom and pop things, yeah, but hurting on a lot of people. But what I'm interested in is, uh, do you think people selling their indie books and stuff are going to do better or worse now? Because people are at home, they're going to be bored. Yeah, they can get a digital download for a buck. Yeah, I feel like that might be like that. Actually, might be a good uptick for people, like the writing genre. Artists, though. Hmm. I think they're going to take a hit. Uh, people that go to comic conventions, like the artists. Yeah, and the stu- like, because I mean, like, people are talking about, like, uh, you know, you see a lot of people, you know, taking, like, commissions and stuff, you know. Yeah. But if it gets to a certain point, you're probably not going to be able to just mail, ran- you know, random things, yeah. you know. 
Yeah. I'm sure there's still be like some kind of poster service, you know, for like bills and those kind of things, you know, because you know you can't let that slide for yeah. you know for even a day. Um, <laughs> what was it you were talking about at the beginning? You wanted to bring up? Oh, the just stories based of dealing oh, with yeah. what might be the what biggest was your story idea. Well, mine was just like more of just like it'd be kind of like a fictional blog. Kind of thing, mm-hmm. so it would just be kind of like short posts to make it like every day or every couple of days of just like every day, uh, more and more is coming off the shelves. People are like angry, you know, and just kind of like each post just kind of slightly moving it forward to like eventually you know, like there's just the no big more. event, yeah, and then there's just there's no more posts, and then like that might kind of just be like the end, right? Because you know whatever happened happened, like the uncom upcoming apocalypse blog like yeah you're just talking through the pandemic as just a normal working person in retail it almost kind of be like or... you know when you see in like those zombie movies there's like that one lone like radio guy he's just like yeah. just going until like you know what i mean Nothing's to left. the bitter end until like he gets his face eaten or whatever you know yeah. like that kind of kind of thing and it's like when it's over you know like that person's probably dead or whatever or like you know, there's no more and like whatever happened, it's to a good point where there's no right. more. And or maybe even I was thinking about it, depending on how far like switches from like internet posts to like then like hand journal notes or like you know, and then maybe having it stop. Well, that's uh, troubling. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was like. I was like, I don't know if I want to write that, but that'd be interesting. Like if I saw that popped up somewhere, I'd I would maybe yeah. check it out. But I was like, I don't know if I can do that. What about you saying you was getting some kind of like story ideas from your? Dealing the bouts and the... Yeah, the the superhero herpy idea. Oh, that was it? Oh, I mean, I got lots of ideas, but they usually end up with murder, so... Something probably shouldn't talk about on the episode in case... It happens. There, in case there's uh, some mysterious deaths in the town, and I don't need anything tracked back to the DPW podcast. Speaking of which, if you folks want to check us out or support us, it's a good time to give donations. Because, actually, it doesn't really matter. We're not doing anything different. But you can uh, go to drunkenpenwriting.com. You can go on Twitter, at drunkpenwriting. You can follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook, at drunkenpenwriting. And uh, hopefully, folks, by the next time, this will post on Tuesday, so by then, who knows what yep. the world's going to look like. That's It's kind of scary. Every week, it's like, ooh. But uh, we'll try to get another episode to yeah. you the week after. We'll see how it goes. Spencer might be locked up with the government yeah. outside his house and we'll have to fight, figure out some wireless shitty uh skyping thing or something but until then dpw signing off be safe wash your hands wash your ass too (laughs) should be doing that anyway